Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hendy-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often a hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Chris Parsons, the CTO and co-founder at Lollipop, who are building the fastest shopping and cooking experience in the world. Chris has spent much of his career consulting and founding startups, and he talks in detail about how he has made connections over the years, and runs me through C.S. Lewis's talk, The Inner Ring, which advocates a natural, authentic approach to networking that anyone can learn and benefit from. We discuss the difficulties of creating connections with new people in a world dominated by conference calls, and Chris introduces me to the pioneer, settler, and town planning model of working personalities. Chris is very humble in his approach to finding work. Despite founding multiple companies, most recently with the former COO at Monzo, Tom Foster Carter. Our conversation touches on multiple key areas for finding work, in part because Chris has experienced the full spectrum of startup life. Thankfully, he doesn't hold back in sharing it. If finding your best work is less to do with finding the work itself and more to do with the people that you work with and alongside. How have you gone about finding the people that you've wanted to work with since the very beginning? That's a really interesting question. I think uh, at first, at the beginning of my career, I I had no clue about this and and wanted to work in games, and therefore that was that was what I wanted to do, and didn't really understand the difference between working in a small um, in a small place in IT, um, which is my very first job out of uni, and then going to work for a um, a kind of top video games company in London. Uh, I didn't know what the difference would be until I walked in for my interview and couldn't believe the energy in the room, <laughs> you know, and, and the the right. excitement um, and just loved it the moment I walked in and, and realized that I really wanted to work with these people. Luckily, they said yes, which was nice. Uh, and and I think, <laughs> and I realized, I, I suppose I was young at the time, I was only about 22, and I feel like I, I just loved hanging out with them I, and I loved spending time with them and I love we, we were making games. I, I wasn't actually directly involved in the games for a lo- the longest time. I was mostly doing kind of the IT side of things. That's where I started. And and uh, the but I just loved working with the people. And I think then after leaving there, pretty much um, I, I I kind of abandoned most of those relationships, which was such a it was such a shame because um, most of those people have gone on to do amazing things, doing different at uh, different places. Most of them not in the games industry. Some have become, you know, internationally well known, and all of this, and it's and it's a shame because I think those, I'd I'd love to, um, and uh, will at some point put some work into to rekindling those relationships, mostly because they they really inspired me, and I'd love to say thank you, but also to um, because I really liked hanging out with them at the time. You know, it was fun. Uh, so yeah. I suppose. I suppose for me, uh, it didn't, uh, that was me counting the cost of not doing that, I suppose. 
And uh, what was my priority at the time was family. And uh, my wife was about to have a baby. I was commuting from Winchester to London every day. I couldn't handle the commute and the hours and it just wasn't working well. So so I decided to to jack in games completely and, and went to work as a as a kind of fairly small time contract web developer and uh, didn't have any connections doing that at all. Had one client that I found on the internet and that was it. Um, and I think, and I had a letter from my CEO at the time, Mark, who it was a handwritten letter, which even in 2004 was unusual. <laughs> it's almost unheard of now. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it was great having you work with us. Uh, relationships last longer than companies and I'd love to keep in touch. Um, and um, wow. and I remember receiving that thinking, that's fantastic. Um, and I lost touch with him. <laughs> so that was entirely yeah. on, my, on my end. And what, what, a, what a shame, right? What a, what a great offer. And I feel like, uh, but that, that kind of stuck with me, that lesson uh, when I was like, I don't know, 25 or something when I left and uh, relationships last longer than companies. And it's true, they do. Um, so, so I think going about finding those people is working, making sure that when, when you pick a company, you, you, you need to like the work and love the vision, but you've also got to love the people and it's got to be as much of it with the people as it is with the, 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 the place that you're working or even the culture. Um, I think that, I think those relationships are so, um, do last a lifetime and, and are so strong, I think. Um, I'm. I just hired a couple of people yesterday uh, for to do some two weeks of work with me. Um, one of them I haven't worked with, with before, but have known for maybe thirteen or fourteen years in the kind of tech industry in London. Another um, I worked with last perhaps about ten years ago, so um, almost ten years ago, uh, and have, I think I've only seen them a couple of times since then. But that relationship has lasted. Uh, I've had sort of four or five different things I've been doing in the meantime, but that's that's still there. And I just knew who to call as soon as I needed some help mm. with something. So so I think that that is so powerful. What have you done differently to maintain such close relationships with some people versus others? I think I've become more intentional. So when I finished and did my kind of small time web consulting for a bit, I then moved into... Uh, I'd started hiring people and uh, and built an agency because I was um, I had too much work and it was a, a bit of a tech boom in sort of 2007 and, and I hired a bunch of people and then realized and then started going to conferences um, in the kind of Ruby uh, Rails scene in about 2007 2008 was was kicking off it was quite big and exciting at the time and I remember just meeting a whole bunch of people who were really interesting. Uh, and who would love talking about the same things that I I did, and I I realised how important these relationships are. You know, I, I think at that point, I think I went to my first mm. industry conference in like 2008 or 2007, somewhere around then, and just realised just how important it is uh, to to be with people who are like minded uh, and who are are passionate about the same things as you. Um, note this is completely different to. Uh, the idea of trying to get into an in crowd or trying to get into a into a group or into a club, if that makes right, sense. Right. C.S. Lewis wrote an amazing um, commencement speech of uh, 50, 60 years ago now uh, called being in, I think it's called the inner ring. Um, it's an incredibly uh, insightful piece for a bunch of Oxford University graduates, I think, about how to navigate the world and and connections and relationships in work. And it's all about how if you try to get in the club, you will never be in the club. All you can do 
is um, is hang out with people who who you find interesting and who you like genuinely like being around, and then you will find yourself in a club that no one can ever take you out of, and it's much more fun anyway. <laughs> Basically, that's wow. the summary of it, and that is just the answer. Um, it's a really it's a really worthwhile read um, because it. It, it just that again was quite transformative. So I I basically decided to find people who I who I was inspired by, who I was uh, who I felt spurred me on, um, in a way, and and who weren't who weren't people who wanted to be to know me because of who I because of what I could do for them, but generally were interesting and interested, I suppose. And those are the relationships I stuck to. I met plenty of people along the road who you could tell were just sizing you up to see whether or not you could be of use to them. And I, I wasn't so interested in continuing to chat to them, <laughs> but I think, uh, I think that's just natural, natural human relationships, isn't it? We want to be around people who we like and who are interesting and interested in us. Why is it that that works? That <laughs> no actually just being genuinely interested in people is the thing that gets you closer rather than just going for it. I have no idea. It's a fascinating topic. Um, social dynamics and how that all works. Um, I think it, it's all down to emotional connection with people and how uh, if you find people genuinely interesting and you have an emotional connection to them and you ask them lots of questions, then you learn something. I think it's very connected to a love of learning. I find that uh, one of the key things we hire for at Lollipop is, is love to learn. It's like always be learning, always be sharing. It's a clear operating principle. And and through that, what we end up with is people who like learning, obviously, new skills, but they also like learning about people and about experiences and about people who are different. So it almost helps us with um, building a really diverse and interesting team, as well as people who are genuinely who are genuine and gen genuinely want to get on with people. So, so that desire to learn covers a huge number of bases in terms of kind of the the sorts of operating principles we want to hire in for. Uh, which is quite interesting. I don't know why it works, but I think that that's part of it. Um, being curious and interesting, and interested sorry, in people, it's fascinating. Mm. Uh, and I find people like that really interesting. It's like, uh, it's like that phrase, be, be interested, not interesting. Yeah, I suppose so. I think there's an awful lot of stuff you can you can spend ages reading threads on Twitter about how how to network and it's all about you know make sure you ask um three questions before they ask you or something like that you know there's all of those mm. kinds of things and ultimately but it's i think it's quite simple it's about just being yourself and and uh and just asking just being interested yeah. i think um and not worrying too much about yourself because ultimately just find just focus on the other person don't worry about you and then you'll feel much better um yeah that always worked that and really good whiskey that helped <laughs> no good no comment on a practical <laughs> level how how does how do these deep authentic relationships kind of manifest themselves day to day is are these relationships that you've picked up through working alongside another or are they relationships that you've picked up through other people or should relations could could productive working relationships be picked up by going to places where everyone is there to try and get into the inner circle like networking events or like where practically do they pop up and have they popped up for you um all of the above i think i think networking events have some value i've done lots of them in the past um i tend to prefer when i was very much into tech and, and hiring tech people i went to tech conferences because that's where they all were so it was easier 
um, when I was thinking much more about software craftsmanship, I went to craftsmanship conferences and that really helped. I think, um, I think for me, putting my name out a bit and starting to speak at events really helped because that, um, this was, I haven't done that much for a long time, but, but, um, uh, around 10, 12 years ago, I was doing quite a lot of speaking and obviously that, that just, if you talk about the things you're interested in, you end up having great hallway conversations with people who are also interested in the same topics. And those things tend to, tend to kind of, um, uh, propagate. I, one, one interesting story is how I uh, got to be at Funnybot, um, which is uh, which is a story that started in around 2008. Uh, I met a uh, chap who is quite well known on the London tech scene called Doug Squirrel, uh, who he emailed me, cold emailed me out of the blue saying, hey, I saw a talk that you gave, love what you're doing at your company, which was my agency, Eden at the time, I'd love to come and visit. So he popped down from London, came for a day, worked with us for a bit. Um, we had a great lunch out we chatted and um and over the years i kept in touch with him and about three years later he got in touch with me he'd just taken a new cto job um at a fintech company for kids uh, called osa and he wanted to he wanted my take on how the team was doing uh, just a second pair of eyes so i i popped in for the day um he i did a day's consulting he i just wrote a little report um on on how i thought the team was doing quite simple um and through that i met a, a bunch of other people including uh someone called tom who was the coo of Oscar at the time um very uh, remember him being in a meeting but didn't didn't actually say uh, say anything to him really but i remember him so fast forward so then we, we went our separate ways and kept in touch and uh squirrel and i kept in touch over several years and then just went out for lunch every so often and just made sure we kept in touch um, for several years. Um, and then to the point at which he said, hey, if you ever wanted to do something about games again, then, uh, you know, call, give me a call. We'd love to, you know, love to talk about that. And that didn't really happen. But, you know, so it's, it's almost like you try and find ways to work with people mm -hmm. and then it doesn't always work. And then eventually uh, he, he did much more consulting. I was um, trying to start a video games company. Um, didn't go so well, but met a lot of, a whole, nother, a whole lot of other very interesting people through that whole thing, um, but that's a different story. And then, um, but back to kind of London Tech, and he was, he. I, I went out, I, I think I, I just happened to email him saying, I want a coffee, and then he he called me that night saying, hey, your email was at the top of my inbox, and I just so it happened that I needed someone to help me with this other company that he was consulting at called Lollipop, where he was, uh, he just needed some help with recruiting. Um, just a little bit of um, uh, interviewing, that's all he needed, because I, I was on the way my my previous startup was coming to an end. Um, my time there was coming to an end for a number of reasons. So I needed a little bit of extra work and he was he had some. Um, and then he said, oh yeah, the CEO, I think you might've met him, he's called Tom. And he was the person I'd met 10 years before at the startup. Wow. And now Tom obviously didn't remember me because it was it was a long time, a long time later, but we got talking and Squirrel said, you should meet him. You'd, you'd really get on with him. I think you share a lot of the same uh, principles and ideals. Uh, he, we met, he was absolutely right. We hit it off, and within um, I don't know a couple of months, I was co-founding Lollipop with him. So wow. it was those kinds of things that just came from random serendipitous connections that that just sort of you know just kind of circle around you, and you just end up spending lots of time meeting lots of interesting people, and eventually something like this comes up. Um, so that's how I've done it. I think there are much more efficient ways of, of yeah. doing that, but but, um, but that worked for me. I think. 
if you go and if someone at an early career goes and works for a really interesting startup that is only hiring um, amazing people, and there are a few, then I think that that super accelerates that process. And I had that when I worked in games back in 2000, 2002. Fortunately, I didn't really capitalize on that time, but that was definitely true at that point. Um, but I think a company like that, and there are a number of companies in London doing that now, will will have the same effect of doing what I've described, but but compressed in time. You know, I see people now who I'm working with who and and talking to about about work who have managed to find find great companies to work in and great networks uh, and have achieved in terms of their kind of their ability to find the right kinds of work more in three years than I have achieved in 15 or 16 years. Um, and I think that's, I, I don't regret that, but I think it's, it's really interesting to me that, that it's possible to do that. And this, this is something I've learned this year. How do you know that you're joining a company like that or a team like that? I think it's about the kinds of questions they ask and the kinds of, and the kinds of people they are and the kinds of things that they, they're used to and that they've done. I think if they're, if they're majoring on, on low-level technical skills in the interview and they're very, very keen to check that you know this particular language and you can code this particular function, um, for example, if it's a coding interview, um, that's one thing. If they're asking you higher-level questions about your general ability to think and process information and move quickly, then that's that's interesting. They should also be asking questions around um, operating principles and have a very clear understanding and idea of what they stand for. And that has to match with what you stand for, because then you are very likely to go there and, and love working there and love the people that work there. Um, I think that's a good signal for a company of interesting people that are doing interesting things, whether the company makes it or not. Who knows, right? <laughs> that's 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 a little bit of a roll of the dice, but but ultimately, looking at the founders, looking at the other team members, and, and seeing the companies that they have worked for in the past is a good leading indicator of whether they're going to succeed. But um, but mm. ultimately, that's not a guarantee. I think, um, given that that isn't believing in believing that the vision is good is is good enough at that point. Um, but trying to gain a sense of the sorts of people that you're working with and the sorts of um, the sorts of things that make them tick, and and also whether they've really thought about that. So a great question to ask is what what do you consider to be the most important thing about working together, for example, or how do you balance great feedback with with high empathy? Or some those kinds of questions are great questions, and I love being asked those questions because it shows me that a candidate really cares about these things, and we've thought about them, so we've got good answers, which is great. But also, uh, you know, that's what I want to see in someone because it means that I'm more likely to want to work with them. Um, so I think uh, those kinds of um, asking those really insightful questions about culture and about uh, how how the work is done, uh, as well as trying to gain a sense of what people have done before, but also how much they've thought about their culture and their direction is really important. Mm. For you personally, what's at the top of that list? What's the thing that you hold in highest esteem that you're looking for when you're trying to figure out whether you want to work with someone? Um, I think the thing, the biggest flag for me, which is probably an easier question to answer, is when I don't get a sense that someone wants to learn. 
someone is, has a kind of their cup is full, if that makes sense. So because ultimately, um, unless they are a, unless I'm hiring a consultant um, who's, you know, done exactly what we're doing uh, and, and knows exactly what the playbook is, uh, then I wouldn't expect anyone to come here and not learn. I think even then, you know, everyone is always learning. So, so I think someone who isn't really listening and who thinks that they uh, have the answers or even has um, may perhaps insecurely trying to portray themselves as someone who has all the answers is, is the biggest um, turn off for me because ultimately nobody has, I, I certainly don't. And I'm looking for people who are prepared to kind of think from first principles and figure out what the answers are um, and have the raw character and, and the humility to be able to do that. For me, that's much more important than technical prowess for coders or or anything like that. Clearly, there's a bar um, on those things, but um, but ultimately, the ability to learn, the ability to um, to jump in and, and just be fearless um, in in making changes, even if they make mistakes, um, is is super important too. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, just just being a genuine human who is interested in people. Uh, and and ask great questions and thinks thinks well about um, about people and about the work that they want to do. And has, you know the sort of person actually who's, who's probably listening to this who who really cares about finding a place to do their best work. I mean that that's a really good strong signal. Um, another is not spending too much time, and this is, I suppose, the counterpoint, spending too much time um, stressing on details that don't matter and moves fast and, and thinks big about what we want to do. Um, because ultimately, without that, we're, you know, as, as, a, as a startup, you you have to have that kind of in you. Um, it's not important for every job, but it certainly is for me here. So I guess, to summarize, that would be the, the ability to, um, to be humble and learn um, and and be part of something bigger than just you, um, so that it's not just about you. In whatever sphere you're you're coming into, um, the ability to to really intentionally think about about that, ability to learn, um, the ability to to be ambitious and just fearless about the work, uh, as well as uh, just moving at a at a breakneck pace, probably faster than they're comfortable with, and not be and not be afraid of that, and not be afraid of being pushed and stretched and learning about how to do that in a way that's sustainable. Um, we have a great uh, uh, example that we use internally called um, uh, Kipchoge, not Bolt. So we we think it's great that the, the same Bolt goes at, you know, goodness knows how many miles an hour he goes, but he only runs 100 meters. Because Kipchoge was the man who ran uh, a marathon in under two hours. And he uh, uh, managed to run, I think, four and a half minute miles, 26 of them. That's the pace we want to get to. We're not there yet, but we want to run at a steady pace but at a fast pace if that makes sense and that's difficult to make that work without burning out and we want to make make that work i can't take any credit for that that was all tom but um but i think it's great that's a beautiful line um <laughs> as as we've um as we've explored the personal relationships there's this there's this underlying part to it where you you're only able to engage in those relationships uh, and those connections if you have a deep understanding of yourself and who you are and the types of things that you're looking for. 
What incentives drive your decision making? In the context of uh, self-awareness, I'm not quite sure what the question is. So what incentives guide, incentives guide your decision making when it comes to work? So when you're pursuing your best work, it could be day to day or year to year. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. incentives exist underneath your decision making that are guiding them i think that they've changed over time i think um i think if you asked me now i'd give different answers to well you are asking me now but i I would give different answers now than i would have done maybe five years ago and then again 10 years ago i think 10 years ago i would have said flexibility um so that i can be there for my kids so that i can take as much time off in the holidays as i want um, so therefore I was a contractor and that worked brilliantly for me <laughs> at the time. And I, yeah. I very much always had the attitude that I wanted to put my family first when I, when they were younger. Um, and that was really important to me as they have grown up. I've spent more time on the road, uh, spent more time traveling. Um, and, uh, that's been, that's been okay. But I think in, in some ways you almost have to, you know, going through your work life is a little bit like riding a flume um, in a in a swimming pool. It's like mm. you, it's not it's not a straightforward run. You're kind of bouncing around off the edges, but you tend to get there. You get to the bottom at the end, if that makes sense. So, so mm. I think at times I've probably done too much traveling, and that's been hard on my family. Um, other times I've probably been at home too much, in the sense that you know, um, my wife's saying, you know, are you actually going to go and and do something today you've been at home in, uh, for three weeks <laughs> and that's fine um and uh you know it's more and that wasn't that i wasn't working it was just didn't, it probably didn't look like it um so i guess it's just different um perhaps cut that bit out but uh, but i think um uh, please but I, but i think uh i think it's more that now what i'm looking for is i want to do something big and ambitious and make a difference um, because I feel like I have more capacity to do that now. When my kids were small, that was my big thing. That was my making the difference. I wanted to raise my family well and be a good dad. That was so important to me, and it's still super important to me. However, I don't need to be, I don't need uh, to focus on that nearly as much as I used to when they were tiny. They're, they're now teenagers. They often don't want me around. They're often not here. So, so now I have more capacity to do that. Uh, I think I want to to work with people who are better than me. I think that's really important to me. I, I want to be in a place where I'm not the most knowledgeable, smartest person in the room um, because otherwise I'm never going to grow. So that's super important. I always want something where I can learn and where I can grow. If I'm not learning, I get bored. I'm very much a kind of phase one uh, person. If, you, uh, if you've heard of the kind of pioneer settler town planner approach to work, um, I'm a pioneer. No. I like starting things. Oh, that's really interesting. So pioneer, settler, town planner is where um, pioneer, different people are, are like different stages of, of projects and companies. So a pioneer is someone who, you know, lands on the beach. They're, they're the person getting everything set up. They're, you know, you know they think nothing works and, and potentially there's no food, but you're kind of, you're just kind of getting getting started and you make something happen, but it all kind of falls apart and, and nothing is, nothing will be, will last. So you're the person who hacks together the website, who, who that, that then maybe gets you your first three customers. Um, whereas a settler is much more like, okay, what you did was great, but now we need to get organized. So they're the ones who kind of build. They they put in good processes and structures and, and help scale. And the town planners are the people who come in later and say, okay, this is all great, but it could be twice as efficient if you were to just change all okay, of these yeah. things and save this much money. And they're great at maintenance. Um, so I am, I am a pioneer 
who has learned to do the building and quite enjoy it. But ultimately, I, I love just building new things. Um, I get bored at the town planning stage and I like hiring people to do that kind of work. So so that's kind of um, not quite sure where I was going with this now. But but for me, because I'm a firm pioneer, I know I want to work in startups um, because it's the most energetic and dynamic place for me. Um, I've never had a job in a company from bigger than about 70 people apart from a, a short stint at contracting when I worked for GDS. But but uh, but yeah, I've never had a permanent job in a company bigger than 70 uh, because I just love that kind of new stage. So that's that's an important decision factor for me. So I suppose uh, to summarize those thoughts, uh, I think it's doing something big that makes a difference, uh, working with people that are smarter than I am um, and starting something great and new. That's super important. Everything else, to be honest, is table stakes. Like, uh, I suppose, uh, working with with highly um, uh, empathetic people who who are um, wanting to create a brilliant culture is like table stakes for me now. I just don't work with anyone who's not like that. Um, I think that's mm. that's an easy decision. I suppose it is a decisional factor. So maybe that's, that's fine. Yeah. There's this conflict between a, a pioneer and a long-term kind of overflowing ambition. And it takes such self-awareness to recognise that you can you can be one type of that. It's that classic... Um, you, there's a big difference between being a founder and a CEO. And um, mm. the I think one of the really tough parts is anyone who is a pioneer is in part, and it can be not true in some exceptions, but ambitious and someone who wants to create some kind of new change in the world. And naturally, if you're yeah. that way inclined, it can be quite difficult to also accept that what you want to do is stay at the forefront and at the early stages and not accept that later stage is that something that you've reflected on yourself it's something i reflect on most weeks my job at the moment as a founder of a growing company seems to change every three weeks yeah. so uh, as we grow and we hire new people the the company uh, the job that i that's required of me is is constantly changing um i for example i couldn't believe how quickly um i stopped coding I was coding pretty full time um, on the project. I had two or three people working with me on on the code up until I think November, early December. Um, I came back from Christmas. I've written no code since, um, and going from full time to zero was with a, just a couple of people starting was an incredible shock. Um, it completely changed my job, and I had to. It took me about two weeks to adjust to that <laughs> and to understand that that was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for some people it isn't okay and they want to always be hands-on and, and then you get into a bit of a mess because the CEO coding on on a project after a certain size, or so a CTO or CEO, sometimes a CEO, is um is usually some kind of flag that that something isn't quite right. And if if that's not being acknowledged, then that can be a problem. So I've worked with lots of teams because I'd spent some time consulting and I've worked with people who who constantly who are in middle management or, or middle or senior management who are constantly trying to work around this, the CEO's or CTO's inability not to keep fiddling with the business or the code or whatever it is. Um, and they spend, seem, seem to spend all their time undoing what the CEO is doing, which is very inefficient. Uh, and I think it's quite a common failure pattern, probably for the reasons that you describe. 
which are that the work is very different. It's a different type of work. And I think any any hyper-growing startup requires hyper-growth of the people within it, especially the more senior people. The more senior you get, the faster you have to grow and the more uncomfortable it is. And you have to be prepared for that. Does there, do you hit a limit there to the... Do you can you hit a place where you become so far detached from the detail that you no longer want to scale? I think so. I think everyone has their limit. I think some people would hate the idea of coming into the startup but love working in a seven thousand person company as a kind of senior manager. Great, you know that's just that's not been me, and I don't really relate to it. But I absolutely understand that that is a perfectly valid and reasonable place to want to be. Completely fine. Um, I think for people who do like becoming being at the beginning. I think I think there's a lot of people who will just sit at the kind of five to 10 person company stage and be quite happy there and potentially will spend their whole career there and that's okay. I think there's a different type of job or a different type of person who suits every role. And I think one of the most challenging things is actually moving through the gears as a company goes from small to big. I think that's more challenging being in a small company or being in a big company. It's the, it's the, it's the growth through those stages because it requires you to change what you're doing and almost reinvent your job and yourself at every point. So I suppose um, absolutely there's a limit, but it can be quite hard to see. Uh, I have yet, I've not hit it yet, but we're not that big yet. And I think uh, because as I said, I haven't worked for a larger company. I I don't know what it's, I don't know where that limit is, but I, I certainly plan to talk to Tom and also my team about when, when I've hit and, and I want to create the right kind of culture and atmosphere that people can say, Chris, this is no longer for you. You need to find a slightly other type of role here that, that will work well with what you want to do. Um, and I've, I've seen enough places where that conversation hasn't happened to know that I absolutely want that to happen to me um, because I think everyone will be happier. I'm going to have a go at asking you a Randomish question, and I'll see. I'll see. Sure, I'll, I'll see how this goes. I love those questions, but I want to go. When we reflect back on the decisions that we've made, the the what we typically do is we reflect on the ones that were conscious, and the ones that were mm. um, active, the ones that we we kind of know that we made, mm. and we don't reflect on the ones that we that we didn't make. Um, mm. Do you look back at some of the moments in your past at some of the key? decision-making kind of times or time frames and ever reflect on the decisions that you didn't make the kind of failures of omission yes i do i think that's part of getting older i think i'm i'm kind of now mid-career and thinking about uh all of the things that i could have done uh i think is quite that's something i i struggle with if i'm honest i i think i i think maybe if i'd kept up relationships with my first company maybe i could have done something yeah. different um i think if i'd uh if i hadn't gone and spent like seven years trying to make video games independently then i could have joined a tech company and, and done some really interesting things uh, i often will see people who are doing the similar sort of work to me at different places that i've been and i see where they've gone now and a number of them have you know a much more senior than me with much bigger jobs and i think oh, maybe i should have done that i don't know then i think i look at people who my were my peers when i ran my agency other little agencies that i ceos of agencies that i knew at the time number of them my, my agency closed without making any money i didn't sell it or anything it just it literally just closed um we did we ran out of money uh 
lots of my friends went on to sell their companies and they did quite well. So, and some of them have now started and sold another company. And I think I haven't done that. Does that invalidate what I've done so far? Um, and I think that's that's quite hard. Uh, I, however, I did a, I went through, I don't know if you've come across the Wait But Why uh, Tim Owen podcast, uh, uh, blog post um, or blog site where he talks about um, my life in weeks, where I, I did that uh, exercise recently where I mapped out my life in weeks and posted it on Twitter. And it's a really interesting exercise to see how my career has kind of taken shape and it's very random, but equally it's it's quite interesting in some ways when you look at it because I've done lots of different things and I haven't necessarily got hugely far with lots of them but I, it's been a blast when you look back on it. And I think, yeah, that's actually been great. Um, so I, I suppose I have gone through that exercise recently of trying to make those unconscious decisions a bit more conscious um, in order to make better decisions going forward. Um, not that I'm, you know, and have I'm doing now, it's amazing. But I think it, it, it was more, how did I get here? And, and what can I do next? And, and what, what would be the ideal for me for the next 20 years? Um, and how can I make sure that I, I really learn the lessons that from all of the different things I've done? Such a fine balance between self-reflection and self-sabotage. It is. It is a very fine balance. And I think I've definitely walked over that line uh, in the last two years, probably with COVID, actually, I think. Um, COVID was a tough time for the company I was working with at the time. It was a film business company. Um, all, we were helping uh, movie studios release their films efficiently but then no films came out for two years. So it was a bit of a challenge to sell that kind of product. Uh, so uh, so that was a really tough time. But I built a team at that company that was really quite high performing. Uh, the entire team left. It's not surprising. There wasn't, we had to put everyone on furlough. <laughs> we weren't paying them mm. um, their normal rate. So, so they went to find other jobs in more secure industries. That made sense. Uh, you know, I, I think that was difficult to, to watch over sort of eight months. Um, I think at that time, it, I definitely found myself reflecting more about where I got to and and whether it was the right time. I stuck with it as long as I could. Um, at the end, it wasn't the right place for me to be because the company needed to really, really shrink very small, and that was okay. And they're, they're still still going, and, and they've survived, and that's great to hear. Um, so, I suppose, I think probably unfairly on myself, it was a very tough time. Uh, to try and reflect on on how on how we've done in our careers, right? Because I think everyone everyone was finding it difficult, and everyone was was struggling with mental health at the time. And I think for me that I I, I was very lucky in the sense that I did not have you know I'm, I'm very privileged, and I have a uh, you know a lovely family, and, and and I I had a lot of support, um, and people had it much worse than me. But I my struggle was more around. Am I doing the right things? Have I done good things with my work, my life, and and what could I, what could I do differently and better in the future? And and how can I, you know, have I got enough time to make a difference now? <laughs> you know, it was more it was kind of the the brutal truth to myself. You know, after twenty five years, I've got probably another twenty five. What what does that mean? Um. So, so I suppose, uh, yeah, it, it was like I said, it wasn't nearly as bad as as some people had it, but that but that kind of self-sabotaging is is i guess a, a tendency if one is prone to self-reflection um and something i've i've tried to just put away and get on with my life sometimes sometimes you just have to do that right yeah it strikes me that it's it's almost the time frame that is the 
the big clincher. How? What is the time frame that you're ref- making this reflection on or this decision on? It's a bit like you know you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can connect them looking backwards. It's like well, okay, but when? At what point should I look backwards? <laughs> it's like when? Like should it be at ten years, twenty years, thirty years? Uh, it, it, all of the struggles that I've had up until this point. It's like oh, well, actually, if in ten years' time those struggles are the creation of this success that would not have been possible. F- Without those struggles, it strikes me that it's the time frame that's the thing that kind of eludes us. That it's so difficult to know just in what in what reference frame we should be we should be reflecting and trying to figure things through. True, I think um, I've, I mostly reflect over sort of five year periods. I suppose I think about five years from where I was. Five years is roughly is when my my video game came out, for example. Five years before that was when my company closed. Um, so that's mm. worked for me, but I think. And most recently, I've reflected over 25 years of work and, and mm. roughly 25 years out of uni. Uh, so that's been, I guess, a milestone for me. Um, mm. And I also hit uh, 20 years married as well. So that was a that was mm. a big milestone for us uh, as a yeah. couple. And just thinking about our lives and where we got to and what we've achieved. And that felt great, actually. Um, so I guess there's there's celebration in it, too. And that's really it's a really important part of self-reflection um, to actually mm. celebrate the things uh, that we have done and we have achieved and the things that are really important me not selling my company 10 years ago ultimately it's not as important as as working with great people preserving the relationships we care about the most and investing in those mm-hmm. uh, and and ultimately through all of the kind of work that i've done over the last 25 years um you know building great companies is, is great fun um when i look back if if one of those had like you know become a unicorn, um, then then maybe I'd feel differently. <laughs> but um, uh, the none of them did. None of them have, have particularly succeeded um, at the moment. Um, hopefully this one will. Um, I've got high hopes because uh, it's going really well. But I think uh, the the interesting thing is that the uh, the relationships are the things that have been standouts. And I'm working with people now that I've worked with over uh, 10, 12 years. Um, and and that's been really great to be able to kind of pull all pull all of my uh, my favourite people that I've worked with over the last ten years together and and get them involved in a company that I'm enjoying and working with. So so I guess celebrating those relationships is another great thing. And something the pandemic taught us actually that the, the importance of connection when we can't take for granted seeing people every day, uh, you know, and and how important it is just to call someone up and say how are you doing, is is just great. What has being a dad taught you about your own working journey and how has it changed it? I have been a dad for 17 years, so it's been quite a long time. I think um, I only worked for perhaps three to four years before being a dad, um, maybe a little bit longer, maybe five years. Um, I think before, I, I remember the day that my wife called me on my brick Nokia 3010 uh, at the time um, to tell me that she was pregnant. And I remember going back to my desk out of the office kitchen thinking that my entire world had just changed um, because it had. Um, I, I remember that quite clearly, sitting back down at my desk. And I think it gives you an elevated perspective on everything you're doing. So at the time, it was all about the work and going out to the pub with my friends and, and having fun and hanging out with my wife at the weekends and 
and going to see her parents every month or, or whatever it was. You know, it was very it was very short term. You know, we're living in the you know week by week, month by month, perhaps booking a holiday every year. You know, for a few years, and that was fun. But but ultimately, you start thinking longer term. You start thinking bigger picture. Um, we were we had trying to think. We we were thinking about moving out of London at the time, and then we definitely knew we wanted to. Um, it became more important for us to do that because we couldn't we couldn't stay practically where we were. We were in a too small a place, so we we had to move, um, and that then changed pretty much everything and 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 caused me to uh, need to uh, uh, find. Uh, I originally stayed in the same job and then needed to find a different work because the commute was too much, and so I guess it changed everything on a kind of surface level. In terms of the work that I wanted to do, I knew that I wanted to be, I knew I wanted to work from home and I knew I wanted to be a, a dad who was present and around. Um, I remember thinking that quite clearly when I was younger, that that's the sort of dad I want. My dad was was that he worked from home. Uh, so that's the kind of dad I wanted to be. And at the time I was working in an office five days a week, so that just wasn't going to work. So I guess, yeah. I, I guess that became more important. And I think it's really interesting to see um, 20 years later now with the rise of hybrid working, you know, we're both, I'm, I'm guessing, working from home at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm guessing from your background that you are as well. So uh, yeah. I think there's a, uh, I think that 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 kind of move to a hybrid uh, working environment where we can all work, um, I don't know, a couple of days a week in the office um, and spend a lot of time at home just works brilliantly. And I think it, it, if, I think I'd be more likely to spend more time in the kind of the world of work than rather than um, com coming out and being a contractor or a flexible consultant. Uh, if I had had this opportunity back when my kids were really small, because I think this just works so much better. Uh, it works a lot better for people in our company with smaller kids. We, we work in the office two days a week. Um, and if, if you, that's very much up to two days a week, it's discretionary. People, people like getting together and we have a nice office, but there's no pressure. So it just works so much better for families with flexibility. And and I think the the decision points are different now than they were. Uh, it's easier to to work, to do to do your best work from um, uh, mixed in with with having small kids than it ever was. I think, you know, even just I don't know, four years ago, the technology just wasn't there to do conversations like this. You know, it's amazing. Just we forget sometimes how recent it is pos has been possible to do online video chat in a way that actually works. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to, uh, it, it, yeah, it probably has just been five years um, since I did my first kind of video chat. I remember doing a video interview uh, with um, for for a contracting job that I was doing about five years ago, four and a half years ago, and I couldn't. It was so weird just to jump into a meeting with a bunch of people, thinking, "Oh my goodness, you know, I have to talk to these people. I don't know who they are. I've never met them in person," and that was. That was um, that's only five years ago, so so I suppose the the parameters have shifted so much that the decisions are so different now to the ones that they were when my kids were small. And I think that's a really good thing. I think it's great to be able to combine those things. You used this beautiful phrase, which was um, you feel like having kids, or when you when you had kids, it gave you like an elevated view. I was what? just looking down what? at my work. In a way, sorry, you were asking a question. Yeah, no, no I was just going to say, what did you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I remember just sort of almost having a fresh perspective on my work. I remember sitting at my desk with my screens and 
the code that I was writing at the time. Um, previously, I'd been all about the work in the moment, and and then you know I cycle home and I come you know come back to work, and I was thinking about my work. Um, for the first time, I I thought, okay, do I want to be doing this type of work? What kind of what kind of work life do I want? Um, and I think it wasn't that I suddenly became more self-aware. I suppose that that thinking pattern was imposed upon me by the fact that my wife was pregnant. <laughs> I suppose mm. I suddenly realised that I had new responsibilities in, in quite, a, quite an odd realisation uh, for someone who was only like 23 at the time because I was quite young when I had kids. So I, I hadn't had time to kind of develop that self-awareness, so it was kind of imposed on me. So I suppose for me that was quite significant because I didn't have much time to adjust. Um, I hadn't gained any kind of work maturity at that point or hadn't really figured out what I wanted to do. I just knew that I was doing a job in which I was having fun and was happy. Whereas now I was thinking more about from a kind of different point and was looking at myself, uh, thinking, who do you want to be? And what kind of work and what kind of life do you want for the next 20 years when, you're, when you've got kids at home? As we um, finish the conversation, I'd love to bring it back to, in a way where we started which was the those personal connections and how they've influenced your working journey the i guess the the difference between then and now to a certain degree is that the way that we create those connections is more distributed and mm. is online um and it can be mm -hmm. harder to create those connections that can that can mean so much how do you go about it now? And if you were starting again, how would you go about it now? Yeah, that's a really relevant and important question. I think it's it's absolutely true that the way that I built connections, it, it just doesn't quite exist in the same way as it used to. Um, and it is much more online. I think um, at the time, I think there was more of a sense that um, going to going to a tech conference with a new and upcoming technology which tended to attract the kind of brightest and best people was the right thing to do i think going to an online tech conference that's for which that's true it's just not the same um you need that kind of hallway um track where you can kind of wander around and just meet people and get a sense of the whole the whole feel of the whole thing i suppose uh i think um it's very very hard to do that online obviously i think only where you are in an environment where that is almost the part, the point of being online is one where that would work. So at a tech conference in 2008, the point of being there was ostensibly, you know, to learn about tech um, and to, you know, you went to talks and you learned stuff. Whereas actually the point that I, I, I kind of listened to the talks, but my point was just go meet people. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you could do both at an, at an in-person event. Uh, at a at an online conference where it's just the talks and there's just an online chat window, you miss all of that. It's just impossible. So you just don't get that. I think if you if you were able to join an online community where it's possible to and encouraged to to build those kind of connections, um, supplemented by in person uh, interaction, I think is the best way to do it. If I'm honest, one of the best ways is to join a great company at the moment because. Because mm -hmm. yes, you can be online, but you're and and you can be remote, but you can also be dragged into an amazing culture that meets every so often and builds relationships that way. I think I have to say, I think that's more important than it was when I was um, younger. I think 
you could be more itinerant um, because of the nature of the, the connections were easier to form because we all kind of hung out in the same city. Um, you know, it was mostly in and around London. So it, that was easier. And I think it was true of the Valley as well. Um, probably five or 10 years before London, it was like that. So I think, uh, I think that's still true. And I think it will be true again um, to a certain, I don't think it will ever be the same, but I think there's too much value in getting together in person for it to, to vanish. I think we've we've all had the novelty of being online and, and forming connections that way. And it was a novelty for a while, but honestly, it's good to get together. So so I think mm. I think that will come again. For now though, there aren't there aren't many better options than than really evaluating the kind of environment and, and culture that you are in as a as someone who works in tech or something similar and think what are the great tech companies I should be working for and that were going to help me build a great um, community of people that I love working with um, and is the one I'm in one of those um, ultimately there has never ever been a better time to try and find a job in tech um, I can't tell you how how competitive the market is for finding great people it's incredibly difficult as companies to to find great people at the moment so if you are someone who works in tech and wants to do your best work um, I would say hold your company to a high bar for creating that place and that community and that environment. And and if that's not working for you, then move. I love this. Thank you. That's been yeah, really no meaningful. And that's probably and, quite uh, controversial, but <laughs> it's true. M- meaningful and practical. Um and uh, yeah. Just thank you so much and thank you for sharing your whole yeah, story. No worries, ben. Yeah, no worries. I'm always happy to chat about this kind of stuff. It's it's super fun. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.